0: Hello, thank you for joining me. This is Dr. BJ Roca, the founder of Cairo Union, and this is the Cairo Union Podcast. All right, so I'm gonna share with you a conversation I had with a student at Logan who reached out to me and just wanted to talk about chiropractic and ask a few questions. He was kind enough to allow me to record the conversation because I thought that any questions he might have would be important to a variety of chiropractic students and those that are getting ready to enter their profession. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Mr. Ford, who is a DC to be at Logan. There's always some type of controversy. (laughs) I
1: understand the, the, the big divide. Like, right. I guess that's my, my thing. Like, I really want to understand what the divide is. Again, I just don't understand the divide. Like, why well, can't, you know, I respect you, BJ, for how you practice and, you right. know, vice versa.
0: So, I mean, you have some real important questions. And you were asking a lot of the same questions I asked when I was at your stage in my career. Mm-hmm. But I am, as you probably, hopefully you're aware, you know, my efforts are with Cairo Union and trying to address some of these concerns. And, and one of the things that we're doing is we're starting a podcast. So if it's okay, I would like to record this conversation and you can ask me whatever questions you like and then I'll okay. do my best to answer your questions. Does that sound fair?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, my name is Quentin Ford. Um, I'm from Arkansas. I'm a transfer um, student at Logan University. I guess I, I have the question, and it, it again, it's kind of been, you know, I need to ask somebody, uh-huh. you know, the, where the divide is in chiropractic. Why is there such a big divide? Well, uh, if you between, ask. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, well, it depends on who you ask, obviously, but you're right. There absolutely is a significant divide in chiropractic. It depends on how far back you want to go. So, do you want to so start we, with the beginning, or do you want to. I can give you the DD answer, I can give you the. <laughs> Uh, the Sid Williams answer, or I can give you my opinion. Or we can go over all three if you want.
1: Let's do all three. That sounds all right. great.
0: So if we start with DD, we start with chiropractic. We're starting with a profession that was had a relatively short education because it, he was only teaching, and they were only teaching the methods, but it did have a mm-hmm. philosophy. So this is where the original mixer straight division comes from. This is right. where the term mixer comes from. So when he would teach other healthcare providers how to do chiropractic, that was who it was. He would come in for six weeks or for eight weeks, and he would learn the chiropractic methods, and then you would go to serve your patients. But you had a variety of therapies that you might offer, just like the chiropractor today has a variety of therapies that they may offer. So what Didi coined as the mixer was the allopathic approach, meaning that you were a medical doctor or you were a reductionist. If you were reducing the patient to symptoms and you were strictly treating those symptoms... Then you were a mixer because you were mixing the chiropractic methods with your allopathic approach to healing. If you embraced the chiropractic philosophy, the principle in that the body is a self-healing organism and that you're simply removing interference so that you're allowing the body to express itself, then that's a chiropractic approach to healing. That's a vitalistic, holistic approach to healing. That is a straight chiropractor. Right. Okay, so that's where the term originally comes from. So now you have to fast forward, okay? So that, because it doesn't mean that anymore, right? With the the mixers and the straights, that has a completely different meaning now. So what has happened is we have to now we're gonna jump forward and we're gonna, you know, after BJ passes away, we're gonna move into like the Sid Will the Sid Williams era or what some people call the guru era, which we're mm-hmm. still kind of in. And now these people have taken the term mixer and they've turned they've internalized it. So now instead of trying to separate ourselves from the medical profession, which originally we were charlatans, we were quacks because we were practicing medicine without a license, we're not practicing medicine, we're practicing chiropractic. So, we were trying to separate ourselves. So, we were separating ourselves from the medical profession, we were divorcing ourselves. From the healing model. And we've that division still persists, which is the medical model and the chiropractic model. And that's what a mixer was somebody that used medical approach, but the chiropractic method. So now we get into today. Now the the, the practice management company and the guru took these terms. And instead of divorcing ourselves from a separate profession, they wanted to create internal discourse. It create it's an internal division. Now a mixer comes to mean anybody that or it, it, it depends on the who's applying it, who's using it, because to me a mixer is still holds the original meaning. It, right. Right, and I used to walk around clinic with the I had the pin with the safe with the cake mixer on it and had the line through the thing, right? <laughs> so I was the totally anti mixer when I was in school, but I didn't realize what it meant. But I wanted uh-huh. to keep chiropractic separate and distinct. From medicine, but as long, and and as long, in the principle to me, it means is a process of vivification. But if you get into some of these gurus, now a mixer is anything, anyone that does anything that's not chiropractic is a mixer. Well, what is chiropractic? So now there, it gives them an opportunity to define chiropractic. And then, you know, and it gives them an opportunity to control what you think. And now you need to go to them to, for information and for instruction. That's uh, an unfortunate state of affairs, but the so that's a, a mixer is become somebody that uses any type of therapy. Uh, but I had these same questions when I was in school and because there was uh, it had come up and uh, I said, well, what if I I'm, you know, I'm a basketball player? So what if I uh, sprain my ankle? Should I not put ice on my ankle or should I go get an adjustment in that of my neck? and that's going to heal my ankle, right? Like, what kind of nonsense are you talking about? And, and of course, no, you, you should elevate it. You should put ice on it. It's a sprain, right? You have inflammation. And, right, all of those things apply. That's exactly what you should do. And anybody that's out there telling you otherwise is a guru that's trying to pitch something and they they cause a lot of problems in our profession that 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 leads to internal divisions because of course if you're a primary care provider you can't be telling people i'm going you know that we're treating your sprained ankle by adjusting your neck right. and that's but it, you absolutely can observe the entire patient, the whole body of the patient, and you can realize that elevating, resting the ankle, putting some ice on it and doing those things ankle. are going to benefit the patient. You're a primary Correct. healthcare provider. That's a real responsibility and you need to right? So it, that's not practicing medicine. I'm still practicing chiropractic. I'm not mixing things. But a lot right. of the, the, that divide is real. So that's where the divide comes from. And I believe that's why the divide exists. Now, it also comes down to a political thing because the ACA and the ICA have essentially embraced these philosophies. So the CCE, which accredits colleges, Mm -hmm. around that same time period, we had to go to the government and get accreditation. There was supposed to be different plans for what is chiropractic, what will chiropractic education look like. One plan was presented by the ACA, one plan was presented by the ACA. They were supposed to get together and they were supposed to hash out their differences and they were supposed to create one chiropractic and that would be the one education that we would all embrace. Well, political people do political things and they, this whole thing was a, was, a scam, was a scam because the ACA which was a much smaller organization at the time, the ACA used to be very small and the ICA used to be very big the ACA submitted their plan, their plan got approved they didn't even have the meeting with the ICA until after the plan was submitted the ICA could have fought it but they didn't so then the ACA wind up growing dramatically and took control of the CCE which took control of education which now a lot of people consider the education you know, like Sherman tries to separate themselves. But by right. separating themselves as the straight school, they are by a default, like just as black defines white, by defining themselves as a straight school, you're defining other schools as mixer schools. And then oh. you create this spectrum of, of grays and, you know, with uh, like National and with Logan. and So now there are these brands of chiropractic instead of there being one chiropractic. Like, like we all want. The majority right. actually right. want one chiropractic and actually... The majority practice one chiropractic but it's the gurus and it's the practice management and it's even the schools that force these divisions to try and build themselves up in order to ident- brand themselves you're asking the right questions right in order to be successful but these so what else uh, is there any other questions i can answer for you
1: yeah well it's, this is not so much a question right now but it sounds like uh because uh, I, I was talking to a doc one day And he said, uh, this was his thoughts. He said, I think the problem is it's the way that we label ourselves. Mm -hmm. He said, you have some people that says, uh, hey, I'm a chiropractor um, and I offer these services, you know, as well as chiropractic. Mm -hmm. you have some people that you know, they feel like they can draw patients in by saying, hey, I can offer you this, this, this. Oh, and I'm a chiropractor. Right. So I think it's all depending on where chiropractor comes in the sentence, if it's first or is it last. Mm-hmm. But then you're exactly right uh, when you're dealing with, of course, people. Um, you're going to have differences. You're going to have politics that come into play. But it sounds like it's it's uh, I don't know, it, it's it's kind of hard to describe it, you know, it's like a, a fight that's really tearing the house down, you know, and I always, I've said this to a couple of people in conversation, you know, about the profession. It's like, you know, again, I love chiropractic since I've been experiencing chiropractic, like it's, it's the way of life for me. And again, I believe in the, the power of the adjustment. I believe that Nate has a, has a part and it's going to do its part, you know, with the adjustment. But as you stated also, I also believe in treating the whole patient, you know, and with that, I just feel like it's, it's a, I don't know it's
0: Well, there is I don't a know great
1: that,
0: <laughs> no. I understand. I mean, and there is great diversity in the profession, and there's even great uh-huh. diversity in technique, and there's divi- you know, and that diversity leads to some of these divisions. But we need to learn to uh-huh. embrace our own diversity. Exactly. It's exactly. okay to be all, but we, that means we have to. So, what my solution is is to organize and to organize the profession so that we can define chiropractic in general terms, but that uh-huh. allows for individuality and that that allows for diversity but there does need to be a a single unifying profession that can include all instead of there being like you said a a chiropractor that offers xyz no a chiropractor offers chiropractic and that can include you know a variety of things because really like what we're what we're saying is that and this is because this is going to be very critical critical in the near future are you aware of the doctor of physical therapy program yes i am Okay so it's very so it's very important because they're going to have a very similar scope of practice in many states some will be a little bit narrower some will be a bit broader but they're going to outnumber chiropractors in a great many very soon in a very short period of time in the next 3 years there will be 1 DPT for every DC and in 5 right. and in 5 or 10 years which you'll still be a practicing chiropractor in 5 or 10 years you may be outnumbered 2 to 1 there may be 2 doctors of physical therapy for every 1 doctor of chiropractic they have 200 schools graduating doctors of physical therapy we have 13 schools right right so they're growing much much faster than we are mm-hmm. But remaining separate and distinct doesn't mean that we have to define all of those things. It's, and really, like you said, it's the vitalistic approach. The DPT mm-hmm. is in the medical model, so it'll always be allopathic, it'll always be reductionistic. And if you take right. a look at NCMIC, they had a study that that they had done recently, uh, like within the past five years, where they did a survey of the profession, and the purpose of this was to look at the future, and they mapped out the potential futures for the profession by the year 2025. And the, even their opinion was you need that the profession needs to stop worrying about these subtle differences and embrace the vitalistic philosophy innate is a vitalistic philosophy we don't need to start talking about innate and subluxation and defining these things because they're defined many different ways depending on the technique but we can talk about the adjustment being an effort to improve the innate expression of the body or a process of vivification where you're trying to improve the overall function of the entire patient because that's totally different than the medical approach while the because the DPT can still do an upper you know can do a cervical adjustment but they're doing a cervical adjustment in an effort to relieve stiffness in the neck right. we're doing the adjustment in order to improve the function of the human body exactly. that's an entirely different thing and we have a lot of support for our model particularly if we embrace all research instead of trying to prove that this one adjustment is important for this one thing because our research is reduction in order to, so the ACA and everybody wants to get into the medical model they want to get in the insurance game they want to get that money so they try to have medical research in order to have their evidence to support their care but we need to start doing chiropractic research and it doesn't matter what the technique is it really comes down to intent what is your intent with doing that cervical adjustment
1: right.
0: and, and level of education too, because we have an extre- when you start to practice and when you finally graduate, you will be, you will have a depth of knowledge of the human spine and the human frame that is unmatched in any medical field. In general anatomy, Absolutely. in general structure and frame, with and particularly with your hands, you will be able to feel things with your hands and diagnose things with your hands that will blow your mind. It continues to blow my mind every day what I can feel when people's spines, send them right. to MRI. Tell them, I say, "Well, I'm sorry, I gotta go for MRI." this is what i feel like i'm feeling so i need to we need to check it out and you 9 times out of 10 you're you're spot on you're 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 right on the money because you are that highly trained in the general structure anatomy of the body and nobody else is so you're asking all the right questions and you're having all the right thoughts which indicates you're going to be a good chiropractor so don't be too discouraged these are difficult conversations that you'll have to have and you'll have to address these concerns but the fact that you're doing it while you're in school is a good indication that you're going to be fine, that you're going to be a successful chiropractor.
1: Right, I appreciate that. Um, and I, I guess um, my last question is kind of a, uh, it's like a, an advice question. So I know you said you had these, um, you kind of had some questions yourself when you, were in, uh, when you were at this point where I am in school, at the level that I am. Right. So if you could tell me, hindsight, you know, knowing how you thought then versus how you think now, or what you know now. What is the best advice that you can give me going forward? You know, with this journey. As far as like dealing with the the controversy or even like staying encouraged or yeah. just making sure that you know I stay focused on on what's important.
0: Right. Well, I can tell you I, some of the things that I did that I appreciate the most uh, was technique. I always put a lot of effort into learning and mastering technique. So I was always going to technique clubs. I was always putting the time in and the effort in to master the technique. I realized, or at least I believed, and it's re- been extremely true that while you're in school is the time you're like a ninja in training and this is the time you have to master those skills so don't you know you yeah you're going to be a lot busier when you get into practice and you'll refine those skills in practice Mm -hmm. but i was really thankful for investing the time that i did into technique and that meant I, I I went to at least two technique meetings in addition that's an addition to class right. so I went to it per week so there was at least four hours a week that i would if not more usually more because I also did philosophy once a week because i believe i was a strong i believe that philosophy was really important I don't know that that served me quite as well it's hard to tell because it, it's so ingrained in me that it may play a significant role in my patient education and in my patient my practice management but definitely Technique. For, by by far, I'm really glad I focused a lot on mastering the, the the technical aspects of being a good adjuster. And then another thing that I did a lot that I I didn't realize was as important as it was uh, is that every week we, at life we had a radiology professor and there was a radiology club and you could di- you had to take all your radiology classes. But every week he on Tuesdays like at 7:30. He would fill up. He had a, the entire X-ray room with X-rays, and it would just be an empty room full of X-rays. And he would go look at them, and then he, at the, and then at, an hour later, he would come back and he would walk through all the X-rays and explain them to you, far and beyond anything that you had to do in X-ray class, you know. And it was all diagnosis. It was reading X-rays. It was reading MRIs. And right. I, I spent a lot of time focusing on radiology and reading X-rays and reading MRIs. And I was really glad that I did. Doctors, you won't believe how much of an asset that is to patients because one. Doctors never show people their X-rays, and doctors can't read X-rays. It'll, it'll be a talent you didn't know that you were so highly educated. That knowledge of the human body, <laughs> right. right? when you look at an X-ray, you see things that doctors don't see. You, you know, you, and when you uh, explain things to people about X-rays, you'll explain it in a in a way that no doctor has ever explained it to a patient. If you have a good grasp and the, if you're confident in what you're doing when you're looking at an X-ray, and uh, and really you will, and you also will never know because and the, the focus behind that was. That, that professor always said you never know who's going to walk into your office because you're a primary care provider. You never know who's going to walk into your office. And you re- that, that's one of the things that has proven to be very true is you will never know what's going to walk in that door right, and right. what the, they may have films with them. You may need to send them for films and it will blow your mind what walks through the door. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So you have to be prepared for that. Um, But but, so as long as as you're doing that, those things kind of tend to be rewarding because Mm -hmm. as you in technique club, as you get better as an adjuster and as you develop those skills, you start to become a leader in the club, or at least you start to be able to help other people and show other people what you start to get even better at right. the technique and it, that's rewarding is if you find that to be rewarding then that'll perpetuate you and encourage you to continue on same thing with x-rays when you when you, after a while of, of looking at x-rays and reading x-rays and pretty soon you'll start to be able to help people quite easily like, oh no obviously that's you know osgood right, yeah. or that's dish or that like there was a guy that posted a x-ray head he's like i have no idea what this is what should i do and it was like the most obvious case of dish you had ever (laughs) seen in your life and everybody's and like at least a a number of people had no idea and it was like oh my god you know but a lot of people were like just pointing out like dude that is the most obvious case of dish i've ever seen in my life you know like but so you have to have some confidence and you get those but that'll be rewarding because you know your peers will be standing there or undergrad or students that are below you in their education they'll be struggling and you'll be able to help them and that'll 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 That is what encouraged me and helped me along. When it comes to opening a practice, is that your plan? Are you going to, as soon as you graduate, you're going to open a practice? Well, right on, man. That's exactly what you got to do. Yeah,
1: man. My my wife, she's a, a licensed professional counselor. And we had an idea to have a wellness center, you know, to because... A great part of healing, you know, within mm-hmm. itself comes from your mind yeah. and, and your belief and, and your aptitude, you know, your attitude yeah. about stuff. And so we, we kind of wanted to tackle that together. Does she do anything and with addiction? She's done it before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we're from Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And like I said, when she worked there, she did some addiction counseling, mm-hmm. um, but not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, her her sweet spot is, is working with kids. And oh. Yeah. So, but. You know, unfortunately, sometimes with working with with the children that were at risk for being uh, removed from the home, Mm -hmm. um, you had parents that dealt with drug addiction or Mm -hmm. any kind of you know other addictions that may have hindered the the productivity in that in that household. So, she she's dabbled at it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, her her real sweet spot is working with children also.
0: That's beautiful. Just you know, that's another thing too. As I had that focus, I had that end game always in mind. So that makes it real easy to get through class and to get through the nonsense and uh, of class. If right. you have that end game in mind and just keep building that vision. I don't know what kind of depth or detail you want to build that vision in. You know, like I, I didn't have any idea where I was going to be when I graduated, but I right. knew I was going to open a practice. I knew what my practice was going to look like. I knew how I was going to run my practice. I knew right. I was building all those things the entire time. Time and and always investigating what's the best way to, to do these things what's the best way to build or what kind of table do i want so i'm always looking at you know so i'm always focused on that end game you might not be buying a table for two or three years but right. what table do you want to buy? How are you going to buy it? Are you going to lease it? Are you going to have an equipment lease? What are some of the things that you're, right? So always answering those questions and staying focused on those questions and staying focused on that. Because uh, really all this other stuff doesn't matter. It matters well, The most significant thing is what you do. Uh, if you're out, it doesn't matter what you know. the ACA is doing or their ICA is doing. The most significant thing is what are you doing? Because they're only going to take your money. All those, all, all those other people only take your money. They all depend on you making money. So you have to be out there seeing Patient, and the only way you're going to make money is by seeing patients, and that's a real great model. I've seen that, I've seen models with mental health and wellness center. But the last time I last one I saw was uh, the, or the two I've actually seen two, they were addiction based. And one of them well, uh, was, like, if you got in trouble with the law, you had to take some kind of class. Like, if you got a DUI, you had to take the DUI class. Right, right. Uh, and stuff like that. So they always had a constant stream of people coming in for that, and it just blew their practice up. And I know they do a lot more than just that, but it was just... People love to drink, so there's always people getting in problems with alcohol. Uh, so right, there was just right. a constant supply of people coming in, and they did really well, and they, they continue to do really well, and they help a lot of people, and they're making a lot of money. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, just keep building that and keep working on it. Well, do you have any other questions I can answer for you or anything? I'm sorry I cut you off there.
1: No, 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 it's, it's totally fine, doctor. Something you said, though, that, that kind of stuck out to me just a, just a second ago. You said uh, how you were going through school and you were, you were collecting things mm-hmm. because you were always building your practice. Always. And that right there, that like that's a golden nugget for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm so serious, like when when I think about it, because I mean that's sort of how my mind flows. That's how my mind works. Like I'm always thinking about, you know, like you said that end goal and how I want it to be. Right. You know, it is. And it's not so much for me, but it's it's to serve the community, you know, and and to be that that pillar for people, and just knowing that, and with that in mind, it's rewarding, you know, to in that aspect to say, okay, I'm on the right track, you know, always building my practice, always thinking about, you know, every. I have a little, uh, a little. I don't know if, I don't want to say motto, but it's just a little way that I look at things as far as the future and the present moment. Like, I have a little thing where I say, be here now, like, be in the current moment always. And with that, like, I know what my future holds, you know, from a standpoint of how I want it to be. Mm-hmm. So my walk now is is. Guiding me into that, you know, a lot of times people will make plans for the future and they never set themselves up to take those steps. So they say, Okay, what I want to do in 10 years is this, and then that's today. So tomorrow comes and they say, Okay, what I want to do in five years is this right here. Right? It's like you're consistently adding on to the weight, right? And you never take the steps almost. I ain't gonna say never, but sometimes you never take those steps to actually currently and presently like just walk to your future. If that makes sense, I don't know. It's kind of no, it makes
0: perfect sense. You're absolutely right, and that's what I was. That's what I was actively trying not to do. Right. And that's (laughs) uh, because it's very easy to want to start chiropractic school. Get you know, uh, I did. I don't drink, so it was really. And it sounds like you got a family, so you don't have time to get involved with all the partying atmosphere. Go into school right. I don't know I don't know how much of that they have at Logan but I'd imagine there's some of it I'm sure right, there's a right. crowd you know <laughs> uh, exactly. and yeah you, you don't have to get that's not that's not going to serve you well I'm glad that I made a lot of friends and I built a lot of good memories but yeah I I was it's very easy to get in too carried away with that and get swept up in that nonsense, and then all of a sudden you're graduating and you have no idea what you're going to do or how you're going to do it. But you know that. But I wanted to help as many people as possible, so I'll, if I was going to do that, I had to learn as many techniques as possible, and I was right. going to learn as much as possible. That meant I had to go every week. I didn't have, I couldn't take a week off because I've only got so many weeks, and then all the weeks are over. And uh, technique is, you know, it's uh, learning technique in seminars once you get out of school it can be difficult some of them are really good some of them are really bad and they're it's, the ones that are really good are pretty expensive so it could be really what would have been a free couple hours in technique club turns into very expensive investment to try and expand right. your technique and when you open up your practice like I said you never know who's going to walk through that door and you want to be able to help whoever walks through that door so you just stay focused on that goal yeah and it is always working on always building that, and even with Cairo Union it didn't come to fruition until years and years later but even when i was in school i was having a lot of these same thoughts and this was my solution it didn't manifest as the idea of a union until much later but uh, my solution is to try and organize the profession uh, and form a union and that the union binds and that will we could allow, allow for us to For diversity allows for us to have a private platform where we can have discourse and we can have discussion because you have to have, that's what drives the profession forward, our kind of opposing views. There is a necessity for a conservative thinker and there is a necessity for a liberal thinker or a theorist. So we need to have the theorist, and we also need to have the conservative or the skeptic in order to drive forward. The th- what proves a theory is the skepticism. You have to overcome skepticism, which drives the theory forward. So we need to have both sides, but we need to be on the same team, and we're certainly not on the same team, and that's a real problem. And so I'm doing the best I can, and when you when you have the time, and when you know when you've been in practice for a few years, uh, then you know hopefully you'll you know I'm sure that you'll be successful and you'll be able to get on that stage and have that conversation but like you said you're asking all the right questions and you're, you're doing all the right things.
1: Yeah. Well, Dr. BJ, I really do appreciate your time and responding to my, my message and even calling me that, that means a lot you know it, it uh, you know even understanding that divide from the beginning to where we are now you know and like I said it does help me out a lot and again I'm just most grateful.
0: Oh no problem. Hey, anytime you're always welcome to reach out, and if you ever have any questions or if you need any help, uh, feel free to shoot me an email or give me a phone call. Okay. Cool. Are you familiar with DE or Sid Williams or any of that stuff? Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. If you want to go to DE, you're welcome to go to DE. But one of the principles that I think has served me really well is just to give from an abundance and just do it for the sake of doing it. And so I like to pass that along to everybody. Just you know, do it for the yes. sake of doing it and, and give out of your own abundance, and uh, which is I'm. I appreciate you. And it's also love and appreciation. And I appreciate you sharing your thoughts and allowing me to record this for the podcast. And hopefully it'll help other people and inspire other people because I'm sure there's other students out there that have very similar questions. And by taking the time to ask the questions, not only you're helping yourself, but you're helping me help other people. So I I appreciate that opportunity and I hope you keep up the good work. I'm sure you're going to be a successful chiropractor, and a uh, you got you said you got a two year old. Yeah, I have a
1: two year old, and my wife's actually pregnant. Uh, oh, you got another one. April. Yeah, yeah. I wow.
0: thought oh, I was thinking. <laughs> oh well, congratulations! That's beautiful. That happens in chiropractic school, man.
1: Right. <laughs> there are all
0: kinds of people wind up with some childrens in chiropractic school. Right. <laughs> Well, that's beautiful. I think you're going to have a wonderful family, and uh, everybody's going to be healthy and happy and and much success. All right. That was my conversation with soon-to-be Dr. Ford, a DC-to-be at Logan and I just wanted to go over our conversation quickly and share some afterthoughts. I think what had inspired him to call in in the first question he asked and the most significant question in his mind was, where does this divide in the profession come from? And it can be confusing, especially as a student, because chiropractic schools are taught in a manner that is different than medical schools. And I tend to appreciate it. And there may be some classes that are taught on a curve, but it's traditional that all medical classes are taught on a curve. And that creates... Creates competition among the students where you don't want any of your peers to have an advantage over you Because you if the curve works even if you do quite well And that that small advantage could be the difference between pass and fail in a medical program in a chiropractic school There may be some classes that are taught on a curve, or there may be a curve applied in some instances, but in general, it's not taught on a curve. The entire curriculum is not on a curve. And in general, it seems to me, from my experience, that the students are on a team. There's more of a team-building atmosphere in chiropractic school. There's more of a camaraderie between students than medical students. And I believe that has a lot to do with the competition When it comes to test time in chiropractic school, you're going to stand on your own two feet. You're either going to perform on a practical, nobody's going to be able to help you do that. You're going to perform uh, in some way, take a test, and it's measuring you against the professor or against the information, against the content. Do you know the information to such a degree that you can pass this exam? And some of the exams can be very difficult. In medical school it's not not only can you pass the exam or do you know have enough mastery of the information in order to pass the exam but are you better than the person next to you so the better the person is next to you the harder it is to be better than them that's why i think it is such a shock to students or new graduates, people just entering the profession to learn about the divisions in the profession and how deep they are and how aggressive the other sides can be towards each other. But I also believe that the divisions are important and significant. When the philosophy is what drives the theorist, so it's it all comes together. It's all the science, art, and philosophy, the profession. But as long as science is going to be a basis for anything that you're doing, you're going to need to have divisions. So that's why I use the term organized. I believe we Need to organize the profession. We need to organize our divisions in order to make them work to our benefit as a profession so that the theorist, rather than trying to completely divorce itself from the skeptic, and the skeptic trying to support the theorist or drive the theorist rather than divorce themselves from the theorist. You don't need to separate the profession. You don't need to drive into two separate directions in order to have one profession. You can be both the skeptic and the theorist in one profession. All science and any scientific profession, any scientific endeavor, that's what the the principle of peer-reviewed journals are. Someone has an idea, someone has a theory, they attempt to prove it, they publish documents, and then their peers challenge it and they're skeptical of it. That's the process. It's theory versus skepticism. It's right versus left, black versus white, yin versus yang. So you have to have that type of division. But now when we talk about the profession, the divisions within the profession, it doesn't boil down quite as simply as skeptic versus theorist. But you can apply those labels to the theorist being the ICA or the straight chiropractor and the skepticism being the ACA or the medical-based chiropractor. So you got your straights and your mixers. If your straights are the theorists, your mixers are the skeptics. They're demanding evidence or research to verify the statements or claims made by the straights. It's it's gotten to be more convoluted and more serious than that. D.D. Palmer made an adjustment of the vertebrae with the intent of restoring hearing in Harvey Lillard because Harvey had lost his hearing while wrenching, doing some heavy lifting, and felt a wrenching in his spine. So the patient had reported a mechanical cause for the loss of hearing that nobody had been able to correct. Nobody had even tried to correct. And since then, that has been documented, that there are mechanical causes for hearing loss. There have also been videos and there have been documented cases of hearing loss being restored with the chiropractic adjustment beyond Harvey Lillard. So we know that this is possible and feasible, but we cannot say that chiropractic will restore hearing loss. We can say that in some cases, mechanical hearing loss has been restored or improved by chiropractic adjustment. In these cases, the very specific cases, that's called anecdotal evidence. We have chiropractic history is full of piles of anecdotal evidence. You are going to heal yourself. I'm the chiropractor and I'm here to help you do that. I'm going to adjust the bones of your spine. I'm going to align the joints. I'm going to improve your structure in order to improve the function. No matter what you did, if you were doing it with the intent of improving the function of the human body so that the human body could heal itself, you were a straight chiropractor. you got to remember, in 1895, not only was chiropractic given birth to, but so was Gray's Anatomy and the first x-ray, the first major publication on the human anatomy and our ability to look inside the at the framework of the human body, all three of these things occurred in 1895. After the passing of B.J. and D.D., came the rise of the guru. The loss, we were without a leader. We were without a fountainhead. And there's been a number of chiropractors that referred to the time after BJ as the rise of the guru or the age of the charlatan, where these practice management false leaders started to rise up. But it really drove these divisions between straight and mixer. The, the people out there that took these terms in order to create divisions within the profession so that they could lead those fractions, so that they could service those fractions, so that they could build profits from those fractions chiropractors are making a lot of money coming into the 80s they're getting into health insurance programs there's avenues to make money and the charlatan the guru is again lazy and embraces the path of least resistance which is fraud that's what led to the restriction of chiropractic reimbursement, the devaluation of chiropractic reimbursement that led to the decrease in chiropractic income from insurance companies because the guru recruited a bunch of people. Those people made a bunch of money, but they screwed it up for everybody because they were being fraudulent. They were being exploitive. And it was a relatively few. All it takes is a relatively few. A relatively small percentage of chiropractors participate with these gurus and their nonsense. I've heard That it's around 17 or 18 percent, slightly under 20 percent of chiropractors either own, operate, or are affiliated with one of these charlatan gurus. But when 20% of the profession, or even 15 or 10% of the profession, is being fraudulent and they're billing hundreds of claims per day, and they're saying it only takes two or three minutes to see a patient, they're being exploitive. They were setting up business policies and business procedures that exploited the insurance game, and they continue to do it today. They always try and find the easiest route to be as exploitive as possible, which is fraud and exploitation. So the guru with their exploitive nature is what's leading to or has led to The plummeting reimbursement rates from insurance companies for doctors of chiropractic, while at the same time, we're seeing increased reimbursements for doctors of physical therapy who have less training. can't tell me that they're doing a better job. How could they be doing a better job? We have thousands of hours of more training because they're not exploiting the system. They're not using tactics to pressure people into care. None of them are doing it. And it's not even that a majority of chiropractors are doing it. There's just a few chiropractors that are doing it that are following the guru and the charlatan that teach these business models and these practices where did this division come from that's where the division comes from the division today comes from the charlatan another question he had was well looking back what are some of the things that you know you what is the advice that you would give me because I'm still here you've already done it so if you were to be speaking with your chiropractic school self what would you tell yourself right what would be the advice that you would give yourself if you were in chiropractic school right now what I did not mention were the things that I did not do that I wish I had done so if I could go go back and do it all over again, I would spend a great deal more time learning and understanding the nature of medical billing. Not much has changed in terms of processing claims, the different types of claims, how to ensure that you're going to get your money. I thought that there would be something along the way. I thought there would be something that would come along. That was the one thing like I didn't wait to have somebody teach me technique. I got into technique and spent as much time in technique and actually adjusting people as much as I could and getting my hands at as many people as possible and learning as much about technique and mastering my technique while I was in school because I knew knew that I was going to be adjusting people and that that was the skill and that was the talent that I was actually developing. I was becoming a Jedi master in technique, any technique, all techniques, as much technique as I could learn. I knew that that was the time to learn it. And I was focused on learning it. and I'm glad that I did. It was. I assumed that the billing or some of this would be part of the education, and it wasn't. There was very little. I really felt like there was no. I felt like I had no clue or no real understanding of how to effectively bill for my services or to develop business strategies or policies or procedures for billing. I wound up using billing services from day one. The medical billing, insurance, Medicare, all these things have always been. A challenge for me because I really never had an education in it and that's important it's critical and of the doctors that I've known over the years that have been most successful they are not cash practices are there successful cash practices absolutely there's cash practices that have been very successful have there been cash practices that have sold for 7 10 15 million dollars not that I'm aware of but there have been insurance practices that have sold for 7 10 15 million dollars so I would encourage people when you're in school and you have that time Get a good foundational education into the healthcare system and billing insurance, billing, insurance claims, Medicare billing, Medicare claims. That's how you get your money. But understand that this stuff is always changing. So worry about the foundation. Try to master the foundation. Try to master the principles. If I could go back and I could do it all over again, I would take billing just as seriously as I took technique. You need to be able to perform the service. I mastered the ability to perform the service, but I didn't master the ability to collect money for the service, which is knowing the ins and outs of claims and billing. Because there's many different types of claims. There's many different types of billing. Thank you very much for listening. I love and appreciate all of you. If you have any feedback you'd like to share with us, get involved on facebook.com slash Cairo like, share, subscribe, leave a comment. Or if you like, you can also email me Cairo at gmail.com. Thank you very much. I love and appreciate all of you. Adio.